millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We have never been closer to sending a manned expedition to Mars. But when can it happen? And is it worth all the fuss? Let's face it, billions and billions will be spent in getting there. A huge group of people will use an incredible amount of resources over years and years. They'll face inconceivable dangers. And for what? To find little green men. Why is it so important to get there? Why does Mars matter? After all, Mars is just a red rock a planet with an atmosphere a hundred times thinner than Earth, an average temperature of minus 55 degrees Celsius, and dust storms that take months to settle. It doesn't look like a very welcoming place, so what could we find on it that would make it interesting? Um, how I got into space was when I was in first class, and I'll tell you, you say teachers are influential. I had a teacher called Mr. Harrington, and he was explaining... That's Kevin Nolan. And he drew the Earth as a ball on the on the blackboard, and it was the first time I realised I'm on a ball in space. And I actually Kevin is a Mars fanatic. He's a lecturer at IT Tala and the Irish coordinator of the Planetary Society, which was founded by Carl Sagan. Kevin is a leading expert on Mars exploration and the author of a book on the subject. So we asked him, what is it about Mars? Why does Mars matter? Yeah, well, uh, you make a very point. Why does it matter and why are we going to spend all this money? And of course, well, we'd like to think that there are many good reasons for that and that's why we spend so much time researching the planet. So a couple of things that come to mind, first of all, are that it's a rocky planet. It's a place we actually can go. In the vast cosmos of, you know, stretching trillions and trillions of kilometres and millions and millions of light years, you know, it takes a few months to get to Mars. So we can get there. And... Also, what we've come to realise in recent years is that its conditions at the very beginning were very similar to Earth. So we actually say that there might have been around a reasonable, say about the same chance of life arising on Mars that actually arose on Earth. So the question then, you know, arises, is there life there? Was there life there? And of course, that's precious to us all. Because, you know, if you're looking at a humanitarian standpoint of the origin of life or scientific standpoint of the origin of life, we don't know where life came from. We don't know if we're alone and we don't know what our fate and prospects are in that regard. So Mars offers a wonderful opportunity to explore so many of these ideas associated with life in the universe, our place in the great scheme and our origins. And it's not actually really just in an esoteric way. We can go there. We actually are there now with the likes of the Mars Curator rover and do real analytical science and ask big questions about if there's life there, was there life there, and hopefully find answers within the coming years and decades. And I think that probably is of interest to us all, not, not, not just science. So in your personal opinion, do you think we will find life on Mars? I mean, are the characteristics sure. of Mars um, able to provide for life? Well, here's the issue. Although we understand a lot about evolution, we know n- almost nothing about how inanimate rock and matter got to microbial life? It's a vast question. So nobody really has a strong handle on that. 
But what we can say is, is that of all of the mechanisms that we think that gave rise to life on Earth, we're seeing that those mechanisms happened on Mars as well. So I'd love to think there was or is even microbial life there today. But I can tell you that already what we've gleaned from Mars in the last 10 or 15 years is very positive. We found evidence of water. There's massive amounts of water there. And there's a statement by a, a man called James Pollock, a scientist in the States, who says, on Earth, where there's water, there's life. There's no exception. And that's why NASA has been running under the mantra of follow the water. And we've found water. We found evidence of organic materials on Mars and even hydro ancient hydrothermal vents. And we think they were important to the process that might have given rise to life. So... Whether we find it or not, it's prodding us to ask really hard questions about our own origins and we're already harnessing results. But of course, you know, the holy grail is to find life. And the best we can say is, is that, as I said already, is that we think it may be about um, an equal chance that life arose on Mars to it uh, arising on Earth. And, you know, that warrants a search. That's the point. For sure. And um, obviously, because the situation was similar, because the conditions were similar both in Mars and on Earth, you would expect that whatever life arose on Mars would be sort of similar to the kind of life that arose on Earth. That's an excellent question because, of course, how do we know the full context of life? Uh, We don't. But nevertheless, we think that the sorts of processes that might have given rise to uh, carbon-based life on Earth, those processes were occurring on Mars. So, actually, we've gotten smart smart on this since the Viking days of the um, 70s. We used to look for metabolic activity similar to microbes on Earth, but now we don't even do that. We have very smart computers and very smart experiments on these rovers that are looking for any organic molecules that we think aren't just natural and that m- must have been created through some sort of or, you know, complex organic or life-giving system. So that's the sort of thing we're, we're looking for and given how similar Mars is to Earth on its surface and they are very similar, that's probably at least a good place to start but that doesn't of course guarantee that we'll, fi- we'll find life there. So Mars could basically answer the question of, or at least help answer the question of how life started on Earth. Yeah, and indeed, yeah, if we if we were to discover any evidence of life origin processes there um, on Mars, it would tell us so much about the origin of life on Earth, and of course give us a sense that maybe you know the likelihood that life being you know prolific throughout the universe as well. So the stakes are high on this, and actually I should say that even if we were to find evidence of some sort of microbial biology today, it would give us a whole new take on biology. Which would radically alter our view and understanding of earth biology from a bio, uh, a biotech standpoint, from a medical standpoint, an evolutionary standpoint. So again, I'll say that it isn't just kind of like esoteric science. There are real hard facts to be sought out here with, you know, big prizes. Should we should we make such discoveries? And if we do make such a discovery, what would be the implications of it? Sure, and a lovely question from the perspective that well. Wow, we've found a second take on life in the universe. And I, I think even from a, a poetic standpoint, we'd look at Mars as a red dot in the sky and say, there's life there. There's another place that breached that gap from the inanimate to the, the animate world, you know, and that would be an extraordinary, uh, I think, signpost for us to understand our place in the universe and what's possible in the universe and might give us some sense of direction in terms of wanting to explore that further. But the, uh, there are all sorts of other implications, such as, for example, the elephant in the room is we want to go to Mars and send people there but what if there are microbes there today I mean so the question is everything from you know the safety of those astronauts to back contamination on earth to the ethical issues of whether we should land on a planet with life there 
all that has to be thrashed out. Interestingly, at the moment, the US um, Department for Agriculture embargoes anything from coming back from Mars for fear of food security. So, you know, you might have the likes of Elon Musk or the Russians or Chinese say they want to go to Mars, but if they bring anything back, they won't do business with the US as it stands. So there's even huge international law issues to to work out here in the coming years. So the discovery or hint of any life on Mars is a big deal and will be a big international, will will call for a big international effort to try and grapple with this for the future of, of humanity in the coming decades. Sure, there would even be an issue of property, wouldn't it? Because nowadays private companies can also explore space. Indeed, and this is a very precarious moment because just last year, President Obama signed into law um, in the the US uh, an an idea that contravenes the 1967 Space Treaty, which said that basically nobody could own anything in space. But now private companies who go to an asteroid to mine uh, resources can, can claim ownership of the asteroid. And you draw a very big question again in terms of ownership and again, indeed the issues of ethical stance on this say for example the likes of Elon Musk or some private company go to Mars and discover life who owns the genetic data all of these issues again have to be have to be questioned and so what I love about this topic is a lot of people might say they're not particularly interested in it but pose that question to them and suddenly you'll find a very strong opinion one way or the other. So it it even draws into question the balance between national space programmes which are a little bit unpopular these days as being seen as being dragging their heels and too slow and so forth and entrepreneurship and the new you know the new generation of space companies who are heralding a bright new future but there are big issues to grapple with especially when it comes to Mars and there's a lot of work being done on that right now there's efforts to declare certain regions on Mars called special regions where we think the most likelihood of life arises there, but th- that's not in, in place yet. We've still got to trash all this out across the countries and the continents in the coming years. So it's not just about whether we are alone in the universe, there's the whole practicality of what do we do with the others. <laughs> exactly. And I, I mean, um, of course, you know, um, from the standpoint of uh, exploring Mars, you've got all of those questions, but you've got all the practicalities as well. For example, the Mars One idea was proposing just sending people and let them try and survive there and with the notion that they might die and that's okay whereas more traditional forms of um, space exploration would view the sanctity of life and the return of people as precious John F. Kennedy send the man to the moon and return him safely through the earth was the mission not just to get a person to the moon and leave them there so there's all of these issues to grapple with as well No, that's very interesting but it's, it's not just about life on Mars isn't it? Like Mars can teach us a lot of valuable lessons for example about climate Yeah, exactly um, the, a good point from the perspective that Mars, although we say there might be life there and had similar conditions to Earth let's get it clear it isn't Earth it's about a tenth the mass it has very similar it had in the past very similar surface conditions as you say climatic systems internal mechanics within the planet but because it was smaller it lost its internal heat quicker it shut down its climate system shut down it lost its magnetic field once that happened then the solar radiation and cosmic radiation bombarded the atmosphere and stripped it away it lost its oceans so all of the record of that activity is in the rocks today. It's one of the reasons why we're there. And you're absolutely right in as much as Mars has a huge amount to tell us about its past change on a vast planetary scale. And, and this is very important to us because we are making changes in our planet. Whether you subscribe, you know, worry even about 2050 deadlines of climate change, on a bigger scale, we are affecting our planet and its climate and, and, and biosphere on, on ways that are unprecedented 
in history and in the history of the planet. And there's a huge amount to learn from Mars in that regard, uh, you know, in that regard with respect to how planets react when their volatile systems change, when the amount of water they have changes, the amount of carbon dioxide and all of these types of mechanisms. And you're absolutely right there. The evidence for that is in the layers within the sedimentary rocks. That's incredible. And not just that, but since Mars and Mars and Earth were born together and they share the same early history, uh, could they tell us something about the history of the solar system as well? Yes. Uh, um, again, um, because Mars preserves this pristine record, and um, it's a ma- one of the major reasons why we're there is it preserves a record of its origins. So big debates are, uh, are going on in science today. Where did the Earth's water come from? Did it come from comets or was it indigenous to the planet? And... Um, Again, Mars contains many of the answers. We haven't got them yet because and it, it, it retains a record of that early history because it shut down about three and a half billion years ago just as Earth was about to get going and just after this supposed mass bombardment region. And so within, again, as I say, the, 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 the sedimentary rocks of Mars are as evidence of what impacts occur in it where the water would come from, and we could get into the science of that if we wanted, um, uh, and, but ultimately we'd be able to determine from Mars, did its water come from within itself in a process called differentiation, or did it actually get it from bombardment from asteroids and comets? And in fact, that's why we're also sending the Juno sp- space probe to Jupiter to figure that question out, because quite incredibly, we don't know where Earth's water came from. But well, that's another important question yeah. that Mars could answer. Absolutely. And from the perspective of origins, as I said, this is, uh, apart from asking, is there life there today, really, I suppose, the treasure of Mars is its answering of questions of origins. And we're still on that path. So while we might get excited about sending human missions there today, we shouldn't overlook the the extraordinarily successful work that has gone on in the last 10 years and will continue for the next 10 to 15 years from a robotic standpoint because they really are answering big questions about the origin of Mars, the origin of Earth and as you say, the origin of the solar system. That's great. But Mars wouldn't just answer our questions. I mean, if we are going to send a manned expedition over there to answer all these questions, then obviously there will have to be a quantum leap in technology. Sure in order to get there. So Mars will actually indirectly give us a lot of technology that can be later applied on Earth. I think you're, you've put that very well. And it's you put it in a way that maybe is, again, overlooked by people who hail and call for a rapid run to Mars. In a sense, the world will have to change technologically to get people there. The challenge is extraordinary. For First of all, we have to build four Mars human-rated spaceships in low Earth orbit each about the size of the International Space Station and send them at 15 times the speed of a bullet and slow them down into Mars orbit. Put a small nuclear power station on the surface and put enough systems in place for them to be able to manufacture 28 tonnes of methane fuel to return them to the Earth because we couldn't afford to send them there. And when you think about this as well, then they'll get each person will get bombarded by so much radiation that they'll never be able to go into space again. There'll be four to five people on a... This is their current proposal, on around a 900-day mission, and one or more of them will suffer serious bouts of depression. Surgeons will need to be there. You'll have to do surgery. One or more of them may get cancer. And they'll have to be operating in peak condition when they land on the surface to set up base camp. So when you look at the challenges ahead, they are truly extraordinary. And I think you put it very well by saying, we'll have to have a quantum leap in technology to get us there. But what I will say to you is, what's wonderful about this time is, rather than say even around say 2003, 2004, is that we are now aware of all the problems. We're now 
the job isn't to figure out the problems the job is to figure out the solutions and we're doing those step by step when there were calls from humans to Mars in the 80s and the 90s we actually weren't really aware of all the problems and very excitingly from NASA's standpoint the first step towards this will occur in 2018 when they launch this new uh, Mars space launch system it's a gigantic rocket one and a quarter times the size of the Saturn V rocket and it's purposely built to be able to put into low earth orbit 125 tonnes of material, which is what is needed as a minimum to build human-rated Mars spacecraft. But to put it in perspective, if you say take the um, Mars Curiosity rover costs, say around a billion dollars, it costs around 100 times more, and it's about 100 times more difficult to send people to Mars. And that's the challenge. So while there are an awful lot of people, I'm not a NASA basher, there are a lot of NASA bashers out there saying they're too slow, you know, government's too slow. But when when the likes of Virgin Galactic or Elon Musk and other people look at this, they will realise the scale of the problem. They already are, which is why they're increasingly wanting to work with NASA and not against them because this will require Lockheed Martin, Boeing, NASA, China, Russia, everybody to work collaboratively. It's such a vast... The scale of the mission is so vast. But we're on the first steps. (laughs) No, but that would be good because it would bring a lot of people and technology together to work together as long as be a project for peace on Earth. Indeed, yeah. I mean, like, I suppose, you know, um, if you look at our planet, it's in a bit of a mess. We're looking for signposts, maybe for optimistic you know, futures. And actually, a lot of people are looking for that. I follow a lot of these different Mars alliances and different you know, on Facebook and stuff. And the undercurrent theme that I see from person after person is a desire for a more optimistic future. And space seems to engender that. You know, As an astronomer, when I say to people, you know, when they kind of say, what's the point of all this? Why should we send billions? I, you know, I try and start off by saying, you know, it's not utopia. It's not Star Trek. We're not going to solve all the all the world's problems. But the likes of science does give us a better handle, maybe, on how to solve problems. And space does seem to engender something, I suppose, of the exploration nature in us all and the futurist nature nature that, ten, you know, for many of us tends to be quite positive. Maybe the cyberpunks will have something to say about that. But <laughs> certainly Mars, Mars exploration does engender a lot of optimism in a lot of people. And leaving optimism aside, I mean, being realist, um, when can we expect a human mission to Mars? Right, well, <clears throat> again, this is the good side, of, I suppose, of the private sector. If it was left purely up to NASA, they'd probably take decade after decade after decade. You know, small entrepreneurial companies are coming along and pushing the boundary and saying, we think we can do this quicker and faster. So the hope is the best opportunity between now and 2050 is to launch in 2033 Mars and Earth align every 26 months and you've got to get the alignment right to save on fuel time and so forth so 2033 is a really really good um, um, window of opportunity so NASA are saying they'd like to, to go then the likes of Elon Musk and others are saying they'd like to go then it's possibly a little bit ambitious but if they're targeting, say, 2033, then it might be realistic to hope in the late 2030s or even 2040s we'd see an expedition. And that would be amazing. That would be a 900-day minimum mission of five people. 250 day- days there, 500 days on the surface, and 250 days home. You can't do it quicker with current rocket technology. They have to, have to be a three-year mission. So the whole world will be involved with this. You know, there's no, it doesn't matter who launches it, Everybody will be in anticipation of what's going on on this mission. So within a couple of decades, the way I like to kind of say it is that it may be that the first astronauts to land on Mars are in school today. 
and they just don't know it yet. You know? <laughs> that would be great. Mm. You have mentioned that the whole world would be involved. Um, can we expect any Irish participation? Uh, yes, we can, because Ireland is a member of the European Space Agency. We pay into it. In fact, we actually don't pull back on those contracts as much as we should. So the European Space Agency is encouraging Ireland to do more. And here's an, an interesting statistic. It was at the launch of International Space Week, which actually the Irish government are funding this year and every year from October on for the first time this year. It's going to be a big deal run, it by, run by Blackrock Castle Observatory Science, Science Centre from Cork. And... Um, the Irish representative for the European Space Agency from the Irish government was at this launch of International Space Week and he pointed out to us that by 2020 Ireland will have invested about half a billion euro in space and they want to quadruple the amount of um, money we put into space because the technical contracts that come back to the universities and there are 80 Irish companies involved in space technology it's really beneficial. In fact, Ireland has gained more than twice back economically that we've put in. So we're part of the European Space Agency. When does another astronaut call from the European Space Agency, which is where people from Ireland can partake? But with the focus of Mars, and Europe does have a Mars programme, it's called Aurora. So Europe wants to send people to Mars officially, but they want to do it in partnership with somebody else, whether that be Russia or America. So yes... Irish people and Irish students and every university in Ireland today does astronomy with uh, sciences so there's uh, on engineering degrees as well there's, there's, there's significant scope for getting involved in this from an Irish standpoint and we're not the little island anymore we're connected you know we are European and when you do research you and space research you really feel how European you are my PhD is in that area and I, I, I deal with people across Europe the whole time As it turns out, a manned expedition to Mars would not be just a bit of space tourism. And no, people don't just want to go because it's there. Mars could provide answers to age-old questions. Where did all the water on Earth come from? What happens to a planet when its climate changes drastically? Could we ever live there if something happened to Earth? And most importantly, are we really alone in the universe? Or are we just one life form out of many? If we can get all these answers, then it just might be worth the trip. Thanks to Kevin Nolan for talking to us and for the music we use here, which he composed himself. My name is Vanessa Martinez and this is an Irish Times podcast. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.